Um, Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 23, Psalm chapter 23, and so you can turn there. Um, I'm going to pray for us here in a minute. Uh, By the way, my name is TJ Smith. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a disciple, and also a member here like many of you. And so even as we open up the Word of God, we're seeking that God would teach us and instruct us from His Word. And so join me now even as we open up in a word of prayer. Um, Father in heaven, we come to you in and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that even right now, we can know you. We can open up your word and hear you speak to us. And so, Lord, this morning, speak to us, teach us, instruct us in the way that we should go. And, Lord, this morning especially, we want to learn how to confess, how to humble ourselves, to come to you, to speak, to acknowledge, to admit our sin. And, Lord, we know that even in that moment when we confess to you that you are there forgiving us in and through Jesus Christ. I pray in his name now. Amen. So if you're looking there at Psalm chapter 23, we're going to talk about the surprising joy of Christian confession. Uh, do, you, do you like a surprise, a good surprise? You know, something unexpected, something maybe a little shocking? Uh, recently in my family, we had a birthday, and we surprised one of our kids to where when the door opened, there were all of her friends, and they all said, surprise! surprise! And she was surprised. Her eyes, wow! You know, so much so that one of my other kids who's about to have a birthday is like, I'm going to get a surprise, right? I want a surprise. I mean, people like sometimes a surprise. Our passage this morning has a surprise that maybe we're not expecting, something that maybe even be shocking to us, specifically concerning confession. And this is the surprise. Confession of sin is the pathway to experiencing God's forgiveness. That is to say, to experience the peace and joy of God, God offers us a pathway through confessing our sin to Him and to others. And so, um, Christian, today, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the pathway to surprising joy is through a regular, habitual, common confession of sin. Now, uh, maybe surprising to some of you, and so we're going to look at, at God's Word in Psalm 23 to see this. First, we're going to see the blessing of forgiveness. We're going to build out of or based upon the idea of forgiveness, the blessing of forgiveness that we see in this passage. We're going to then see the, the danger of concealing sin. We're going to see then the, a definition of what is confession as Christians. And then we're going to see David counsel us about what it means to confess our sin together. And so there, if you're looking in your Bibles in Psalm chapter 23, it begins a masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know, our psalm, if you notice there, began with blessing, and it started with blessed. And in fact, all of the psalms in a sense, start with the word blessing. If you look back at Psalm chapter 1 for just a moment, so look back at Psalm chapter 1 or or listen along with me as I read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his or her delight is in the law of the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord. And on his law, in his, on his instruction, 
he or she meditates day and night. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, begins with blessing because all 150 Psalms bring us into the instruction and the teaching of the law of God, of the Word of God. We've been, uh, we've been looking at the Psalms this summer, at Psalm 11 and 77 and, and Psalm 33. We'll be looking at, at other Psalms, Psalm 51 or Psalm chapter 2. And all of these Psalms fit within this context of verses 1 and 2 of, of, of Psalm chapter 1. That is, the blessing of God. Do, do you want to experience the blessing of God? Well, right here, all the joy and the life and the peace that we experience, we see in the Psalms. All the pain all the sorrow, all the confusion, all the suffering we experience, we read about here in the Psalms. And the Psalms teach us how to live the blessed life in a broken world. Because my friends, you know it. Our world is broken. And how do we live God's life of blessing in this world? Well, that word blessing is a little confusing, right? Because in, in our world, there's all these images or ideas about blessing. You know, hashtag blessed and then it shows somebody wearing really nice clothes and there's a yacht behind them, right? Hashtag blessed, and they've got like the best food or, or the, they've got the, the best refined image on Instagram. That's, that's not the life of blessing that God is talking about in the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 1 or here in Psalm chapter 23. You know, in the New Testament, there are 112 references to bless or blessing or blessed. You know, not one of them connects to financial blessing or to financial prosperity. Not one of them connects to the idealized modern life of, of financial blessing. One Bible dictionary even defines blessed or blessing as to be satisfied in God. To be satisfied regardless of circumstance in God himself. I think that's, that's really why the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he opens up his favorite sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things against you falsely on account of me, on my account, the Lord Jesus' account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God desires that we would experience his life, the blessed life in this broken world. And so he gives us the book of Psalms that teach us or instruct us how to live. And even this morning, we look at Psalm chapter 32. Because in Psalm 32, we see... The blessed life. It starts out, how joyful, how blessed is the one who experiences forgiveness. We see in this psalm, God teaches us what to do with our sin. God wants to help us deal with our shame and our guilt. And if you want the blessed life, 
If you want to experience the peace and the joy of God, listen to what God says about your sin. We see in this passage, verses 1 and 2, three, even four words describing sin, transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit. They're synonyms for for those who have broken God's word, broken God's will, who have offended or disobeyed in act, in thought, in desire, in feeling. In fact, we remember Adam and Eve, as as Brother Prey mentioned earlier. Adam and Eve are just so important for us because we as Christians, we believe that the book of Genesis accurately represents or reflects what happened in history. And so Adam and Eve, on the day that they were created, God instructed them, he commanded Adam, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam, of course, we know, ate of the fruit. And when Adam ate of the fruit, he felt guilty because he was guilty. Adam and Eve, they felt shame because they were shameful. They hid themselves from God as if you can hide from God because they were afraid of the consequence of sin that God had promised them. They were condemned before God, and they experienced for the first time being separate from God, feeling alienated from from the presence and and the person and the peace of God. I mean, I know what this is like because I am a son of Adam. I also have broken God's law. I have offended God in thought, in action, in deed, in feeling. I myself have rebelled against God, and so I've experienced that kind of guilt and that shame and that kind of hiding. You also know what this is like, for you are all sons and daughters of Adam. You also have sinned and have experienced or tasted the guilt and the shame and the fear of that sin. In thought and in feeling and in action, you know what it's like to feel separated from God. Now, friends, God does not just forget sin. He does not slide away from Him. He does not ignore it or just kind of let it, let it shuffle away. No, no, no. God sees every sin, no matter how small or secret or insignificant we perceive it to be. And there is no remedy that we can offer for our own sin. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They tried. They tried to cover themselves with leaves was not sufficient. No, no, no. We cannot provide or do anything for our sin. There is no bell you can ring. There's no amount of times you can pray. Even coming to this service, this church today, does nothing to alleviate your sin condition. You need someone to forgive you, to remove your shame, to pay for your sin, to offer you the cleansing that you cannot offer yourself. Now, if you are a Christian today, you know what the answer is. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know the name of that remedy because Jesus Christ has come. God has sent him to be the covering for us, to be the cleansing of our our sin, to be the covering of our shame, to be the removal of our punishment. And so when we look back at Psalm chapter 32, we see that David is alluding to or is reflecting on this great truth, the blessing of 
forgiveness. How blessed is the man or the woman whose transgression is forgiven. Look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. He says, and Lord, in confession, he says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He experienced that forgiveness that happens when you confess your sin and God, and God cleanses us and forgives us. And, and we as Christians, we know what this is like because when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, when we turn in repentance and, and belief in, in the Lord Jesus, God puts on Jesus Christ that sin, that shame, and that guilt. You can even reflect with me. Colossians chapter 1 says it like this. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter, two, uh, chapter 1 verse 21. You, you all, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Colossians 2, verse 13, Paul says, You all who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive. He made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. The, the, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and the demonic powers or authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. We have faith in Jesus Christ. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus, we believe Jesus died and rose from the dead, all who call upon him experience this blessing of forgiveness that we read about in Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. Now, so for anyone who trusts him, the Lord, it says there in verse 2, does not count their iniquity against them. That's why the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 can quote this passage. He can say, salvation is based not on doing right or being right or, or, or earning or meriting God's favor, but it's based on, on faith, in faith in Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because Jesus has been risen from the dead and we trust in him, the Lord does not count their iniquity against them. We have faith in Jesus, and so we are forgiven. We experience the blessing of forgiveness. And this is accessible to all of us, to anyone who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for just a moment, this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who trusts in the Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead, if you're not following him, then, in a sense, this, this promise doesn't apply to you yet. The Lord does count against you the guilt and the sin. But the Lord does hold you responsible for what you've done. You will pay for your sin. Either the Lord Jesus takes it on himself in the cross, or you will take it upon yourself upon your death. But it doesn't have to be that way. And even today, if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will save you.
That promise is for you, it's for our children, it's for our friends, it's for our neighbors. We turn to him and we experience the blessing of forgiveness. Now, in this passage today in Psalm 32, we're talking about forgiveness as Christians. As Christians, we have experienced the blessing of forgiveness, and yet we recognize that we still sin. We still sometimes fail, and yet in confession, we remember that because Jesus has forgiven us, we can freely confess our sins. And this is, this is the surprise, right? We can, as Christians, confess our sins to God and even to others because of verses 1 and 2. Because God is a forgiving God, we can come to Him freely, quickly, and speak to Him that which He already knows. We can confess to Him the things that we have done or not done, the things that we have felt or, or spoken or seen, and we can confess to him based on the fact that he forgives. Because he is a forgiving God, we have the delight and joy of confessing our sins and experiencing that forgiveness. Now, I know that some of you don't believe me, though, that, that confession is all that joyful. I know some of you are, are thinking confession is not what I would categorize as sweetness or delight. And so we want to look back at this passage just to see what are maybe some dangers in, in concealing sin. Because some of you I know are tempted to say, yeah, 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 I'm forgiven in Christ at one point, but, but why does he keep talking about sin? Well, look back at, at verses 3 and 4. Because there are consequences for concealing sin. When we try to cover our sin or to hide it or to minimize it or to, to make excuses for it, we're actually deceiving ourselves. We're endangering ourselves. And so perhaps let's maybe just start off with the obvious. Let's state something that maybe is clear. Right? There, there are a few obvious things in the world right now, like Dubai is hot. It's very hot, right? We all agreed? Yes? Is Dubai hot? There we go. It's, it's very hot, actually. Yeah, let's say something else that's obvious. We all still sin. I know that you all still sin, Christian. You know that you all still sin. And in fact, if you were to look around the room, you would see a whole room full of people who still sin. Husbands, men, your wife, your friends, your children, they know that you sin. Sisters, your friends, your, your husband, your children, they know that you still sin. So really, really, there are just two kinds of Christians in the world. Are you ready? There are two kinds of Christians. There are Christians who recognize that they still sin and they're confessing their sin. They're dealing with it. And then there are Christians who are trying to conceal it or hide or cover or make excuses for their sin. There are Christians who recognize, I still need grace today and God still gives it. And so I can confess my sin. And then there are Christians who want to put on a show and, and pretend or cover or conceal. And so maybe... I mean, I'd ask you, which kind of Christian are you? Are you a Christian who's confessing sin? Or are you a Christian who's somehow concealing, covering sin? 
Now, look in this passage, verse 3 and 4, we see uh, one of the dangers to someone who doesn't confess. David talks about it here. He says in verse 3, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. You know, when David was silent about his sin, when he refused to confess to God what he had done, he felt terrible. His bones ached. He had, he had physical, emotional, mental distress. Uh, Psalm 31, uh, the psalm right before this, verses 9 and 10, David says it like this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and body also wasted. For my life is spent with sorrow. My years with sighing. My strength fails me. He says there, because of my iniquity, my bones break. Friends, there are physical, emotional, mental consequences to our sin sometimes. We, we feel the weight and burden of our sin if we don't turn from and confess it to the Lord. Let's talk a moment, though, just about sickness and sin. Right, the relationship between sickness and sin, because people get really confused about this. Now, the Bible the Bible's very clear that not all sickness stems from or comes from sin, that not all suffering is directly connected to a person's lack of faith or to, to somebody's um, leering eye or something, right? So not all suffering or sickness has, is connected to an individual's personal sin. That is to say, someone can be righteous, godly, and still be sick. So, for instance, remember Job, the prophet Job? Job is called righteous, a man of integrity, three different times in Job chapter 1 and 2. Remember in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Elizabeth are called blameless. They're a couple. They're called blameless, people of integrity, even though they were infertile. Their infertility did not have any connection to their sin condition. That was the physical condition they were in, but they were righteous. They were godly. Perhaps you remember Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. He was sick almost to the point of death. He almost died in the service of the gospel. It didn't have anything to do with any kind of, of sin that he had committed or, or omitted. Uh, John chapter 9, remember Jesus Christ. Uh, the, there's a blind man that's brought to him. And the disciples say, Jesus, whose sin was it? For them, there was only two categories, right? It's either his sin or his parents' sin. And they asked him, who sinned that he would be blind? Is it himself or is it his parents? And Jesus said, no, it's not this. He rebuked them. He said, no, no, it's neither his sin nor his parents' sin that he was born blind. Not all sickness or suffering has to do with or is connected to an individual's doubt or fear or lack of faith. Does that make sense? But then look back at this passage because in verses 3 and 4 we see that David did experience the physical, emotional, mental duress or, or consequence of not confessing his sin. Sometimes we do experience hardship or physical or emotional distress because we have sinned and not confessed it. Sometimes God uses that physical or emotional distress to spotlight some issue or, or thing in our life. And so Christian, we, we need to take care. There is a danger in not confessing our sin. 
in trying to hide it, in trying to conceal it, as David had done. In fact, uh, like Proverbs 28 says, uh, whoever confesses or whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I know that some of you are miserable because the Lord has been convicting you of sin and you have not confessed it. You're toying with it perhaps. You're you're half-heartedly dealing with it, but then you're also somewhat holding on to it. God is weighing upon you saying, turn from this also, brother. Turn from this also, sister. David was silent about his sin. He tried to conceal it, tried to cover it. And God bore down on him a bit, weighed down on him to draw his attention back to himself out of his love for David. When David confessed his sin, he experienced relief, freedom, forgiveness, even joy. And so let's talk a little bit about confession. Let's, let's define it a little bit, maybe draw out a little bit from what we see that David does here in verse 5. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We see here several synonyms, things that, that um, David describes together. I acknowledged, I admit. I confess, I do not hide, I do not cover anymore. He, he's speaking out loud. He's, he's talking to God specifically about his sin. And I see two basic parts to his confession that I think are just good to bring out. I, I see to whom is he confessing and how is he confessing. I see that he, he confesses to God and then he confesses openly, without excuse, without minimizing. And so let's just break that down a little bit because it's important for us to see how can we get better at confession. If confession is the pathway to surprising joy, then Christian, let's practice this together. David, you see there, he confesses to God. He confesses to the Almighty. Whatever sins he's committed against other people, he will confess that to them. But first, he's going to turn to God in repentance. He's going to say, God, I have done this. I have thought this. I have said this. And he confesses to God that which he has done. Now, David can do this because David knows the law. He knows the description of who God is. Like in Exodus 34, where where God reveals himself to Moses and says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin. David knows what God is like. And so he can come to God and confess his sin because he believes and trusts that God is a forgiving God who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. You and I, we can come to God because we know what God is like. We know that he is merciful and gracious. We know that he forgives us of our sins in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now notice here, Christian, you and I, we come We come into the presence of God and confess our sins directly because Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus takes us or brings us into the presence of God, which is to say, 
you and I do not need any human priest, right? There is no priest here at Redeemer Church. The pastors or elders of Redeemer Church, they do not absolve you of your sin. We don't have somebody here to, to, to listen to you confess their, your sins because you can go directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go directly to God through the finished work of Jesus. And so there are no saints up in heaven helping you to confess. Mary, the mother of Jesus, cannot help you with your sin. Her son, Jesus, he is your great high priest. And so you and I can go directly into the presence of God in and through Jesus and experience that forgiveness as we confess our sins. And so we come directly to God, even as David came directly to God here. We also see, secondly, that, that David confesses his sin without excuse, without caveat, without minimizing, without blame shifting. He, he calls it what it is, right? He doesn't, say, he doesn't say here, Lord, I acknowledge a small, minor mistake. Lord, I acknowledge that I forgot something, right? He doesn't say that. He confesses it as offense, as rebellion, as transgression. And he doesn't offer a half confession. You know what a half confession is? You ever heard someone, like a half confession, they say something like, you know, yes, I sinned against my sister when I hit them, but they hit me first. Oh, yes, Lord, I, I shouldn't have said that terrible thing about that other person, but they deserved it. Oh, Lord, I, I shouldn't have stolen that money. That was wrong. But my life is really hard right now. And so, right, these are all half confessions, which is to say they're not confessions. They're, they're minimizing. They're shifting the blame. Oh, Lord, I, I, I shouldn't have lusted after that person or that image. But, you know, I'm doing so much better now than before. Oh, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my sin because I, I'm so proud, but I really am better. These are all, all ways to, to acknowledge half of the sin, but also to cling to it. These, these are all ways to, to retain some sense of goodness while also saying or admitting, yes, I, I maybe do need a little help. David doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin to you, but actually... He comes without caveat, without excuse, without minimizing, without blame shifting. Confession can be hard because we need to own our sin. We need to own our responsibility, that which we have said, that which we have seen, that which we have done, that which we have felt. It requires us to humble ourselves. David humbled himself. And when he humbled himself in confession to the Lord, he experienced the blessing of forgiveness. You know, the, the Bible is full of this kind of confession. We see this kind of, of free-speaking confession to the forgiving God, not just with David here in, in Psalm 31 or Psalm 32, we also see with Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, he confesses his own sins and the sins of his people. We see it in Ezra chapter 9. Listen to Ezra, Ezra chapter 9. He says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. 
For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt is mounted up to the heavens. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? He said, we we pray like this. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Even as we forgive those who have transgressed against us. We remember the Apostle John, like in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. John writes, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children. John the Apostle writes, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. God does not want us to sin. God wants us to not sin, right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a helper with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. Friends, We have a God who forgives us of sins in and through Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to to hide or to cover our sin any longer. We can come and freely confess to him because he forgives us in Jesus Christ. So therefore, confession is the pathway. It is the, the way that God calls us, draws us to come and to trust Jesus and his sacrifice. Of course, if confession is so powerful, and I tell you it is. And if confession is so joy-filled, and it is, why is it so hard? What prevents us from confession? What stops you, perhaps, from speaking to God the things that he already knows, or from confessing to your, your loved ones or your coworkers, the people that know you well? Well, the list may be long, but it starts with pride. Because we are proud. And we don't want people to think just how much we have done or said. We, we, we think that by remaining silent, somehow people don't know. And we're afraid. We're afraid. If, if TJ only knew what I was really like, or if so-and-so even heard or knew what I was like before, oh, we're afraid. And, and the shame of confessing our sin, the shame of confessing our sin and the shame of, of being found out, they, they don't relate. And we say, no, 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 I'd rather not confess, I'd rather hide or conceal. But I tell you, I tell you the truth. In confessing your sin to God, you put yourself on the pathway to peace and joy. Because God is there. He's here right now welcoming you. He has offered you the assurance of pardon. He's guaranteed it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he forgives sins. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and call yourself a Christian, he calls you his beloved son or daughter. And so you can come to him without fear and confess your sin. Now, because the the pathway of confession is somewhat surprising, I think then the, the... the writer here, David, turns and spends the rest of the psalm giving us some counsel, counseling us, instructing us, teaching us. Now, if you look there, 
at verses 6 to 9, really the rest of the psalm is actually application or it's David's counsel to us. It's almost like you've, in the first few verses, David is silent. He says, I, when I was silent, I was like this. Well, now the rest of the psalm, he's not silent. He's talking. He's talking and he's teaching. And so look there at verse 6. David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. What kind of prayer is this? Well, in the context of Psalm 32, it's a prayer of confession. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, let everyone who calls himself mature offer a prayer of confession to God at a time when he may be found. When may God, when may, when may God be found? Well, anytime. God is accessible to us. He's available to us. He's ever-present. He's always aware. He's always near us. God is always at a time when we be found. We may all turn to him as long as it's today. And so David is saying, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer of confession to you now. He says the, the very next phrase, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. In the, in the flood, in the storm, when the troubles begin to pile up and we, we begin to feel like we're sinking, the person who confesses, what do they experience? Well, look at the next verse. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Formerly, David was trying to hide his sin, right? But now, God hides David from the storm and the flood. God delivers David and, and preserves him. Look at the next verse, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. What's the way you should go? The way of confession. I shall teach you and instruct you in the way you should go, the way of confession. I will counsel with my eye upon you. This whole psalm is David's counsel to us as the congregation, saying, do not be like a stubborn mule. Look at the next verse, verse 9. It's the negative contrast. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or won't stay near you. You know, here's the, the negative example. So Christian, Christian, if you are not developing or practicing a habit of confession, what does David call you here? He calls you a stubborn mule, a horse without understanding. Do you want to not be a stubborn mule? Well, then let's practice confession of our sins. David's trying to lead us, counsel us to what it means to be someone who regularly speaks and admits to God uh, the, the sins of the heart. Now, this might be the surprise or the shock, right? It's not that we, as Christians, stop sinning, because we've already said that we, we will sin. And it's not that we cover our sin or get better at not confessing. It's that when we as Christians come to God in and through Jesus Christ, when we remember the gospel, we see our sins as God sees them. We're no longer afraid to confess because we know that God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And so we can come to God without minimizing, without excuses, without but, but, but God, you, if you only knew, and we can confess what we've done, and we know that God forgives us of our sin. And because we know that God forgives us, tomorrow, tomorrow, if I, if I sin and snap again in a moment of impatience, a moment of irritation, tomorrow, if, if I'm tempted to anxiety again or fear of man, what can I do? 
to whom can I go? Back to God in confession. God, today again, I snapped at my children. Today again, I was irritated. Today again, I was impatient. Today again, I was fearful and anxious of the situation at work. I can directly come to God in and through Jesus Christ, and He forgives me again and again and again. And every single time I come to Him, I experience again the blessing of forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ. And so today is a day of great joy because today as a Christian, it's a day of confession. Because as you confess your sins to God, God forgives you and restores you and draws you back into relationship with Him and you remember again the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that through His death and resurrection, you and I are pardoned. You and I are restored. You and I are loved by God. Now, some of you, today, even as I'm talking, some of you recognize you have a need to run. You feel the need to run. I would say, run to God. Don't run from God. Run to God and confess your sin. And so men, brothers, husbands, lead your families in confession of sin. Do not wait for them to come to you you can lead your family. They have already seen or heard you say or do things. Why not initiate that, that humility? Sisters, wives, friends, reach out to a friend. They, they know that you have sinned. You know you have sinned. Why not today begin to cultivate a practice of confession? Young people, children, whether you're, you're little or older, you, you also will know the sting of sin. And so you may also taste the joy of forgiveness. Call out upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will restore you and draw you up into himself and offer you pardon. Listen, when you, when you and I confess our sin to God, when we, when we experience this kind of forgiveness, then we have the, the added benefit that we can turn to others and say, with David in the psalm, blessed is the man or the woman whose transgression is forgiven. We can, we can t- t- tell to our, the people in our community group, we can tell them, the Lord does not count against you your iniquity. You are blessed, those in whom there is no deceit. We can tell to our neighbors that, that before, when I was silent about my sin, my life was just broken. I was feeling emotionally and, and physically and mentally disturbed. But when I acknowledge my sin to the Lord, through the Lord Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. We can call people and say, today is the day to offer up the prayer of, of confession to the Lord. Today is the day that he will hide us and protect us and cover us in the storm. We can call the people and say that today is the day of forgiveness. And so do not be. We can warn people. Do not be like a stubborn mule or like a horse without understanding that has to be pulled along. But actually, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we experience the steadfast love of God. We can be glad in the Lord. We can rejoice, for we are righteous in Him. We can sing for joy, shout joyfully to the Lord of our salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, right now I come to you in the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I thank you 
that we are your children, that you have forgiven us in, in Jesus and that we right now can come to you not based on our own righteousness. It is not as if today we are now suddenly good. But actually, God, we come to you and confess that we need your help. Even right now, we are afraid. We are fearful. Even right now, Lord, we recognize uh, the need to confess to you something that we have said or done, maybe even a pattern of, of unrepentant sin. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for Jesus that no matter what we've said or done, that his sacrifice is enough. Lord, though our sins are many, your grace is even deeper. Lord, though our, our sin be so bleak, Lord, you have taken it all and nailed it to Christ, and we bear no part of it anymore. And because of that, we can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to you and confess our sins. And without shame, without fear, we experience your joy. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.